The Power Zone Sports Podcast is brought to you by Titan Home Lending, TicketSmarter.com, and our Florida realtor, Drew Felios. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is to beat the man, you gotta beat the man. The two one swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. He is safe. Green runs in This is the Powers on Sports podcast. Well, welcome in Powers on Sports Podcast. It's Super Bowl week edition. We got the 49ers and the Chiefs in Las Vegas this Sunday. Super Bowl, I believe it's 58. I'll double check that, but I believe that's right. 58 is the number. First ever Super Bowl in Las Vegas. We've got, uh, we've, we're hitting, we're about a week away from Valentine's Day, less than a week away. So if you haven't already done so, fellas, you better start, um, don't forget about those flowers and the gift, maybe a little dinner reservation, all that good stuff. We are hitting about the, uh, we're getting about the 60% mark of most of the conference basketball seasons. Got about, I believe it's five weeks from Sunday is Selection Sunday. Lots of stuff going on, lots of stuff percolating in the college basketball world. Uh, obviously, the prime focus of the, this week's podcast will be the Super Bowl. We've got two great uh, conversations for you. We're going to talk to TJ Reeves, Buccaneer Radio, host of the College Basketball Coast to Coast podcast, my buddy down here in Tampa. He's going to give you some stories about uh, the couple of Super Bowls he's been involved with with the Buccaneers. Some interesting, uh, very interesting. He was involved in the 2020 Super Bowl. Obviously, the COVID Super Bowl here in Tampa, no fans. He's going to give you some great stories about that uh, and his perspective on that, as well as some good, cool travel stories about uh, his Super Bowl back in San Diego back in 2003 when the Bucks won the Super Bowl too. So he's going to give you some good uh, uh, stories there. We're going to also talk about the game itself. We're going to break down the game a little bit. He's going to give you a prediction. I'll give you my prediction as well. And we'll give you a couple of prop things that we like as part of the game as well. Then we are going to talk to Jim Levitt. He's a he's been a frequent regular guest here on the podcast. Coach Levitt uh, not only has been a very successful college football head coach, defensive coordinator, former head coach, University of South Florida, all-time winning as coach at South Florida, got South Florida number two in the country back in the day. But we're also going to talk about Coach Levitt's experiences coaching the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl, the famed Harbaugh versus Harbaugh Super Bowl uh, back in the day uh, when Jim faced John in New Orleans. We had a little uh, power outage in the Superdome back then, if you remember that. Uh, part of my conversation along that I did with uh, Coach Levitt and my, my guys Mike Grace and Bart Heitch on the Press Box radio show, which you can listen to every day uh, from 8 to 10 a.m. 
throughout the Southeast on about 20 stations around the Southeast. And you can listen online anytime, live or on demand, pressboxradio.com. So enjoy our conversation with, you're going to enjoy our chat with Coach Levitt talking, again, his Super Bowl experiences, a little run-in with Beyonce, a little, uh, you know, how do you handle halftime, the extended halftime, how do you handle a, a power outage, and just the uh, the pageantry around the Super Bowl. So you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy our conversation with Coach Levitt. So, uh, plenty of Super Bowl talk, plenty of football talk. Obviously, uh, free agency's not it won't be for another three weeks or so. The Senior Bowl just wrapped up over the weekend. You got the combine in a couple weeks, but and again, so there'll be a couple week lull here after the Super Bowl. But again, uh, uh, Super Bowl is at front and center here. Uh, Chiefs and 49ers. Remember, the Niners beat Detroit, and the Chiefs went to Baltimore and beat the Ravens. So to, to get here, again, first ever Super Bowl in Las Vegas, the, the the craze and the mania that will be the Super Bowl this weekend in Las Vegas will be probably all-time off the charts as far as pricing and demand and parties and celebrations. Vegas, we, Vegas is the absolute mecca of uh, partying here in the United States. And again, first ever Super Bowl in Vegas. Funny how the NFL, just probably 10 or 15 years ago, wouldn't even allow players to go to a fantasy football convention in Las Vegas, i.e. Tony Romo. But now they have marketing deals with every uh, gambling uh, you know, outlet you can think of, DraftKings, FanDuel, Caesars, and all the such. And now we're hosting the Super Bowl in Vegas. Not a lot of controversy this week. The only controversy that I've heard of has been the field conditions at the 49ers practice facility. I think they're practicing at UNLV. Apparently they put down a grass field on top of the turf field at UNLV. And apparently the grass field is a little too spongy for the 49ers liking. Uh, the Chiefs are practicing at the Raiders facility. I'm sure Al Davis is rolling rolling in his grave, knowing the Chiefs are using uh, the Raider facilities this week, knowing what a rivalry that the Raiders and the Chiefs had back in the day. Um, interesting note, and we mentioned this with TJ in, the, in in our chat. The field, the they are playing. They are actually going to be playing on grass on Sunday in Allegiant Stadium, when normally Allegiant Stadium is a turf field, field turf field. They are putting grass in and playing on grass, which is kind of an interesting nugget there. Again, not the first time. Uh, again, they've played plenty of Super Bowls on turf. Jerry World, Minnesota, MetLife and such, Atlanta. <clears throat> but they are playing. Uh, this one's going to be a grass surface. I don't know if this was a Players Association negotiated thing or what, but that's, that's an interesting nugget for me. That this will be the uh, it will be a grass surface on Sunday in Allegiant Stadium. You'll have, you'll have a wide array. Taylor Swift will be in the house on her uh, round the world journey from Japan. She's coming back from her show. I'm sure she will be there. I'm sure the uh, entertainment scene at night in Vegas is off the charts with the uh, ladies of the night, uh, among other things, the gambling, the parties, the club, the club scene. I'm sure it is bonkers out there. Uh, in the whole greater Las Vegas area, uh, from Henderson all the way to Lake Lake Las Vegas, whatever the hell they're, they're they're putting all these putting up the teams at. So huge week at Super Bowl week. I've never been to a the Super Bowl festivities. 
I have been to a Super Bowl before. I've been uh, was in the uh, I actually worked the '91 Super Bowl with Houston, Buffalo, and the Giants. This famous Scott Norwood wide right when I was a high school senior, so I got to work that Super Bowl. But have never been to a Super Bowl as a fan, so we'll see if we hit that bucket list uh, before we uh, leave this earth. A couple other things. Uh, personal note: uh, <clears throat> had had my annual doctor's visit today on Thursday. Went and saw the doctor for a little wellness checkup. Uh, if you're not going to the doctor and you're of you know 45 plus, I would definitely put it on your calendar to go once a year to the doctor, whether it's do a little blood work to see, just make sure all your uh, uh, blood stuff is in order, as well as for us guys, prostate, uh, colon cancer, all those kind of things, that screenings that they can help you with. Um, so I would definitely, uh, make sure you put that on your calendar of things to do, uh, on your annual, uh, medical, medical wellness check. It's always a good thing to do, um, to do that. So, uh, and, and talk to your doctor. So did that today. I think sounds like everything went okay. I had a little blood work done. So we'll see how that, how that comes out. Hopefully no issues there. So, all right. NBA trade deadline is on Thursday. We're recording this Thursday morning. Uh, the trade deadline is on Thursday. Today, uh, speculation in the last few days would LeBron James potentially uh, be a part of a blockbuster, maybe a place like the Knicks. There's already been a few names been moved on Thursday morning. Gordon Hayward, Buddy Heald, Kelly Olynyk, A couple of those names. You'll see a lot of those bit player trades getting made today as far as salary caps and expiring contracts, things like that. For some of these contenders, Joel, Joel Embiid, bad news for the Sixers, is going to be out at least a month with a meniscus injury and surgery earlier in the week. Going to be out at least a month. Hopefully he's not derailed for the rest of the year because he was having a tremendous year, and the Sixers will be doomed if they don't uh, get him back. We'll be interesting what the Warriors do. Will potentially Andrew Wiggins get traded um, here at the deadline? Speculation there. Clay Thompson, what's his future with the Warriors? Probably not going to be re-signed, I would not think, at the end of the year. But again, a team in transition for sure are the Warriors. And again, you got uh, Zach Levine, would have been a prime trade piece for some somebody. He's out for the year with an injury with the Bulls. So we'll see if there's any monster name, any big, big names that get moved at the trade deadline here today, which expires, I think it's something like 3 or 4 o'clock today. So uh, check that out as well. Gino Oriema, congratulations to Gino. Got his 1,200th win as a coach for UConn. They're playing well again. And you also see, we'll also see Caitlin Clark in the next week or so, most likely break the all-time scoring record, the women's scoring record uh, up at Iowa. So Caitlin Clark, uh, shout out to her as she uh, approaches history and breaking the record there of Kelsey Plum of the all-time leading scorer. So, um before we get to TJ and Coach Levin, I want to give you a couple props. Looking, obviously, this is a huge weekend for prop bets. Uh, the Super Bowl is notorious for the uh, the variety of props, whether it's player props, game props, national anthems, celebrity sightings, all that good stuff. You can make virtually make a bet on anything. Um, I'm going to give you four, three or four things that I like that I think are uh, valuable of value to you uh, for the weekend. So. First, first thing, longest touchdown of the game, over 37 and a half yards. I think it's going to be an over there. 37 and a half is the number. Uh, I would anticipate uh, at some point either a long run, long pass. You, you know, you got 
Mahomes to Valdez Scantling potentially. You've got uh, the game-breaking ability of McCaffrey and a guy like Debo Samuel uh, who could break a long one. That This also includes kickoff returns, punt returns, uh, fumble, interception returns, defensive touchdowns, any touchdown over 37 and a half yards in your cash. I'm going to go over 37 and a half yards. That's about minus 110, 115, something like that. Like that. I like Nick Bosa over a half a sack, <clears throat> minus 115. I think Bosa, if San Francisco is going to win the game, the, uh, the 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 front four pressure of the Niners is is going to be pivotal. Pivotal. They've got an advantage, I think, with the uh, against the tackles of the Chiefs with Donovan Smith, Jawan Taylor. Bosa's their best pass rusher, so I would I'm gonna I'm gonna bet uh, Bosa over half a half a sack on the game. Next one is team. Both teams have to successfully uh, convert a fourth down. I really like this one. This this could give you a little value here around plus three hundred or so. So three to one on your money. I think both teams will convert a fourth down, whether it's early in the game. You know, I think you'll see both teams be aggressive when it's fourth and one, fourth and two. Uh, obviously, when the, if a team is behind in the third or fourth quarter, that would be much more likely that a fourth down scenario will will, will exist. But I think both teams will convert at least one fourth down conversion in the game. So I think I'm, I like that at about plus three hundred on your money or so. The other two I like are San Francisco related, um, over under on first downs for the 49ers, excuse me, third down conversions is five and a half. I like the over five and a half for the 49ers. I think one, the type of offense they run is, is a high efficiency offense. So when they do get in those third downs, there'll probably be a lot of third and threes, third and fours situations. So I think the, the, the ability to convert will be much easier. Two, I think you're going to see the Niners have a ball control, be able to control the ball a little bit on the on the Chiefs. If you watch that Buffalo game, Buffalo had the ball, a lot of long drives against Buffalo did. They ran the ball, converted a lot of third downs. So I do think you'll see uh, the Niners being a lot of third manageable situations, third and three, third and fours, uh, where they can either run or pass to convert. So I do like San Francisco over five and a half third down conversions for the game. So which means they got to get to six. So uh, we interesting to see how that goes. And, and, and typically, when you have a long drive, scoring drive for a touchdown, you typically will convert a couple of third downs on a particular drive. So I do like uh, San Francisco over five and a half <clears throat> third down conversions for the game. And to piggyback my San Francisco pick that TJ and I will get into, which I do like San Francisco in the game. I do think uh, here's an interesting one: a prop San Francisco to win by seven to twelve points will get you plus five hundred on your on your hundred dollar bet. So five to one odds if for San Francisco to win by seven to twelve points. Uh, I do think if San Francisco wins the game, I don't think it's going to be a field goal game. I do think 7 to 12 is a good number. You could win by 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Um, so, again, I, I do like San Francisco to win by 7 to 12 points in the game at plus 500. So, there's some props for you um, to get you heated up for your Super Bowl uh, Sunday, be interesting. To know, are you going to be staying at the house to watch the Super Bowl? Are you having a Super Bowl party? Are you going to a sports bar? If you're not a fan of the, either one of those teams, big fans, do you like to do you just like to hang out at the house, or do you like to be out in the public uh, public domain to enjoy a Super Bowl? I'm probably going to stay here at the house for the Super Bowl, but you never know. I could change my mind. I am not going to go to a place and pay seventy five or eighty bucks for an all you can eat kind of deal. Uh, like I know a lot of 
sports bars and such will have a Super Bowl party where you can pay a flat fee and it's kind of an all-you-can-eat deal. I will not do that. But we will see uh, how uh, the Super Bowl attendances on TV. It'll be a huge rating, I think, especially being in Las Vegas. Two high-profile teams, 49ers, all the pageantry there. The Chiefs with a potential dynastic win. If they win, that'll be three championships in five years, which which will definitely be a uh, dynasty uh, designation for them. Um, and then Patrick Mahomes has the chance to be the first NFL player ever under the age of, of 28 to win three Super Bowls and two MVPs. Maybe under 30 actually might be the stat, but he could be the first NFL player to ever do that. If he wins his third Super Bowl and he'll have two MVP, regular season MVPs, um, so be interesting to see if uh, he can do that. But I like the Niners on Sunday. I'm going to lay the one and a half. I'm also going to play a little money line action as well. Um, so that is kind of where I'm leaning. But you will, again, enjoy my conversation with TJ Reeves and Coach Jim Levitt breaking down the game, the, in, the ins and outs of the media side of things, as well as the coaching side. You will enjoy our stories with Coach Levitt and TJ Reeves. So there's your uh, potpourri of, of, of action and notes and news heading into Super Bowl Sunday. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Be careful. Don't do anything stupid. No drunk driving and all that stuff. And um, be interested to see what a, what a ticket to the Super Bowl costs. Uh, you, you, you're hearing numbers somewhere in the range of five dollars to $8,000. Um, ticketsmarter.com is your place to go to check out the secondary ticket market. If you're ever looking for tickets on the secondary market, whether it's the Super Bowl, concerts, basketball, college basketball, the NBA, the NHL, March Madness is coming up. You're going to have some regionals all around the country. Uh, and you're also going to have uh, first and second round games in arenas all around the country. Ticketsmarter.com and the Ticket Smarter app is the place to go. You can use the code POWERS10 to get $10 off of a $100 purchase or the code POWERS20 to get $20 off a $300 purchase. So again, if you're looking for anything on the secondary ticket market, Ticketsmarter.com and the Ticketsmarter.com app is the place to go for that so uh there's a little plug for them and uh we'll be back in just a minute or so with tj reeves buccaneer radio then jim levitt giving the inside scoop of coaching in the super bowl as well now a word from titan home lending are you in the market for a new home are you looking to get into a, a single family residence condo townhouse duplex whatever it is if you need financing help to get pre-approved, which you need to do, reach out to Titan Home Lending and Jason Powers. We'll get you approved in less than 24 hours. We'll get you qualified, figure out what you can afford, and we will get you to, in a position to be able to make that offer. So reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending. We can help you with an FHA loan, a VA loan if you're a veteran, a conventional loan, a bank statement loan. We can help you with a investment property, a second home. Whatever their financing needs are, reach out to me, Titan Home Lending and Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. All right, welcome back, Powers on Sports Podcast. Next up, the only person, non-player that I know that has a Super Bowl ring. The <laughs> one and only man who's also got the distinction of the only man to cover a Super Bowl with next to nobody in the building. 
So we're going to get know. great right, we right. Gonna, that I know. So we're going to get some great perspective. Mr. TJ Reeves, Buccaneer Radio Network, also host of the College Basketball Coast to Coast podcast, which we are in the heart of college basketball season. Also does some uh, great work for BetUS TV and just an all around uh, and, and was on the losing end of his daughter's oh. district district final district basketball tournament event here this yeah. week. Uh, Mr. Reeves, welcome in, sir. Good to be with you. Yes, that was a tough loss. Uh, again, the G the Twins are JV players, but for the varsity, the season came to an end for their five seniors. And see, I was kind of conflicted. I know we're just digressing for a second because they lost to my high school from South Tampa, Plant High School. Very, very prominent, very known uh, high school. And so Plant beat George M. Steinbrenner High School, where my twins go now in the North County and knock them out of the state, uh, well, the district playoffs and even make it into the state playoffs. So, uh, yeah, I mean, but we, this is it's that time of year. And as I was saying to the twins, for everybody, your season comes to an end, uh, usually with a defeat. Only one team at the very end gets to celebrate all the victories. Now, sure, you would like to win some playoff games, but welcome to what's coming with March with college basketball and now with pro football. And I know you're going to go there first. We're down to the final game. There's only one team Sunday night in Las Vegas that gets to celebrate, hold up the trophy. You know, maybe kiss Taylor Swift, whatever else is going to happen there for Kansas City if they win. Uh, I don't know uh, for the 40, the 49ers, it's been so long. Have they, have they, do they remember how to celebrate a Super Bowl? 30 years, 30. It's been a while. So I know we're going to get into that. It's good to be with you on all fronts, my friend. Interesting note that, that I didn't know until about a week ago. I didn't realize the turf in Las Vegas is going to be grass and not. Yes. Turf. I know yes. that if, if you follow the Raiders, they play on turf during the regular season, but the NFL is putting grass on top of the turf at Allegiant Stadium on Sunday. We've obviously, if you've been keeping up, the 49ers have not been very happy with their practice facility turf during the week. How do you think, do you think that has any play at all as far as the turf versus the uh, grass at Allegiant Stadium, which you've been at? Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing that they're doing it. But again, they have experts and they spend millions and millions of dollars with the technology and to understand all of this. But uh, when they when they did it, I guess at UNLV, it had a problem. It, it had a very sponge effect, and so you're messing with the team's preparation midweek as we're doing this show. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, sometimes the field can be it can be controversial um, on whether the the field's in great shape. You you don't want that to be a factor. Uh, and bear in mind, they've played on field turf in numerous ones of these recent Super Bowls. Uh, when they played in Minnesota, Jerry World, Jerry when they World, played in Jerry's World, when they played yeah. in Houston, when they played in Atlanta, all I'm of those, you. all of those are field turf. So maybe this is a players' association thing too, where hey, they want they want the grass not only for the better surface, but to take care of player safety, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that is, that is an interesting aspect. There's so many different parts of this game and aspects to this game, you know, Super Bowl rematch, Mahomes legacy, 49ers haven't won it since Bill Clinton had just been elected back in the nineties. I mean, take your pick on which Avenue you want to travel there with those. Well, we're going to do a tale of the tape here in just a couple of minutes. I want, to, before we get to that though, I want to, I want you to give me, if you're the, one of the rare guys I know that have actually been on the field in a Super Bowl, a couple <laughs> different uh, opportunities. Give me, give me a memory, especially yes, Wednesday. Oh was the anniversary of the Super Bowl the Bucks most recently won the four-year Super Bowl anniversary of um 
the no, no, very few people in the stadium and COVID right. and all that stuff. Give the audience a little, right. a little perspective of so what that one. Was like. That one was that one was crazy. That's the freshest one. That's the most recent one with Tom Brady and the COVID crazy <laughs> nineteen uh, COVID nineteen year of twenty twenty. Um, and it is still surreal to this. I mean, I'm looking in my office while we're talking at a picture of me in the mask with the confetti and the fireworks going off, and it still doesn't seem that all of that really happened and was real because it was so bizarre that whole year. But I, I'll come back to that story in a second because the the first story kind of ties into the second story. So the second Super Bowl win for the Buccaneers was obviously at home at Raymond James Stadium. So you go back 21 years ago when the Buccaneers defeated the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC Championship game, that Super Bowl in San Diego, California, where they had rotated the Super Bowl numerous times uh, in the 1980s and the 90s. All right, and so this was 2003, January of 2003. And so in my work duties, I'm doing five-day-a-week sports radio in the Tampa Bay area. I'm also the voice of USF's men's basketball team, which is playing in season that January. And I'm also uh, one of the side duties. I am the pre-pregame host on Buccaneers uh, radio on the Buccaneer radio network. That's the station where I was working with the flagship station, et cetera. So I, I have all worlds, Jason converging here for Super Bowl weekend. And so uh, the, the bulls, the USF bulls, the South Florida bulls, who we're going to touch on a little later on in this conversation that are having a tremendous uh, college basketball run. They're playing in Greenville, North Carolina against ECU East Carolina on the Saturday night before the Super Bowl. Now, geographically folks, uh, I know it's a podcast and audio. You can't get much farther away on the same continent than Greenville, North Carolina, and San Diego, California. I mean, yes, if you went from Miami to Boston, or if you went from like or uh, Miami to Seattle or San right. Diego to Boston, that's that's pretty far away on the same continent. But this, I mean, this is pretty far away. So this is a night game at ECU. Seth Greenberg, who you see all the time on ESPN now, all their coverage, their college game day, their primetime games, he's the coach. This is a double overtime conference game, double overtime. Saturday night runs late into the night. Uh, Seth Greenberg gets thrown out of the game. I believe that is the <laughs> only time in his South Florida career he ever got ejected. He got ejected on the night before the Super Bowl. So he gets thrown out. The Bulls lose the game. I now have to drive uh, with a with a colleague 90 minutes to Raleigh, back to the west to Raleigh, North Carolina, because there's an early morning Raleigh to Atlanta flight on Delta where I can still get to San Diego. If I had stayed in Greenville, North Carolina, there's no way to get to a hub, Charlotte or Atlanta, to get to San Diego dead. the day You're of the dead. Super Bowl. You're dead. You're dead on the travel. All right, so I, I get to Raleigh in the middle of the night, get like two hours sleep, get to the Raleigh airport, get on the plane, get to Atlanta, and get on the Atlanta to San Diego flight. And I notify my Buccaneer boss and the Buccaneer people, I'm on the Atlanta flight, I'm coming. So we get to San Diego roughly around 2.30 Eastern time, about four hours before kickoff. Now, I have a couple of complications. Number one, I haven't gotten to the stadium yet, but most importantly, number two, I got to go get the credential to get into right. the game. So right. I go to downtown San Diego to the convention center. And I've told this story all the time. And I tell it here on the powers on sports podcast. I got a standing ovation at Super Bowl 37. You know how I got a standing ovation? Because when I got into that credential center, after I got my bags, I got in a cab, I got down to the convention center. It's now probably three 15 Eastern time, 12, 15 local time. It's now about three hours before kickoff. 
when I walk in, the woman immediately says to me, looking at me, she goes, are you TJ from the Buccaneers? I mean, not even hello, not even, you know, what are you doing here? It's, are you TJ from the Buccaneers? And I say, yes. And four people stand up immediately (laughs) doing this. I get a standing ovation because I am the last credential of Super Bowl 37. Once they make my media credential with my picture, Jason, they can leave. They're gone. Hallelujah. The mayhem of a thousand plus people being credentialed for the Super Bowl for the past few days is over. Over. Because TJ has shown up. So, (laughs) So I show up. I get my credential after my standing ovation. I now have to get out to the stadium with my bags. I get out there and you talk about this is post 9-11 now, a couple of years after 9-11. Mayhem, more mayhem. It was like the military war zone. There was a checkpoint about a quarter of a mile from the stadium that took about 20 minutes to get through that checkpoint for the bus. People coming on the bus with the bomb dog, the German shepherd, the whole bit. Uh, then Then we have to get up by the stadium, get off the bus, get through the security. Long story short, I get in the stadium and the Buccaneers have an amazing night after being a punchline, a punching bag for so many years. They pummel the Raiders. I still remember, uh, Jason, 21 years later, how many more Raider fans than there were than Buck fans? Oh, there yeah. were probably about 65% oh. Raider fans. Oh, yeah. Probably out of the 70,000 or so in the stadium, easily 40, 45,000 of it was Raider fans. And the Bucks just put it on them. Second quarter, third mm-hmm. quarter, uh, interception return for a touchdown. After interception return for a touchdown, I still vividly remember Derek Brooks picking that last ball off, coming right at where we were. We were in the end zone. The media overflow was in that end zone that he was running towards and pointing yeah. uh, to, to clinch it. What a moment. All right, so that is 21 years ago where I got the standing O. That was San Diego, California. It took a full day the next day to get back to uh, Tampa Bay through Los Angeles, through Dallas, had to drive the I-5 up to L.A. to get the return flight through Dallas, back to Tampa. Didn't get back until like almost midnight on Monday night. All right, so that ties in to Super Bowl 55. So now you have the pandemic crazy season, and the Buccaneers are the first team to ever play in their own stadium hosting the Super Bowl. So uh, just with what I just told you, I got in my car in the North Tampa suburb of Lutz and drove 20 minutes to the Super Bowl the second time around, not the Greenville to Atlanta to San Diego and the standing ovation. And then the, the remembrances that I have of that game over the Chiefs, the first thing is, as you mentioned, limited fans because of the, the COVID concerns. So they had limited with social distancing, they had begun to vaccinate doctors and healthcare workers, and they allowed several thousand of them on tickets to come into the game. I am not allowed on the field to, to do my sideline duty. I'm only allowed, as we had done that entire year, in the front row of Raymond James Stadium. So I have about a 15-yard space in the front row where I'm allowed to walk back and forth, and that's it. I'm restricted there. Then they had another probably 30-yard space for Tracy Wolfson of CBS, who was on my sideline, to stand in the middle. And then the Westwood One reporter, who was Laura Oakman of Westwood One, she had another 15 to 20 yards down at the far end of the field, and we were the only ones that were allowed to walk back and forth in that front row with, with masks on, by the way, and the whole bit. So... 
I, I often say that was a crazy, surreal season. Just fundamentally, Tom Brady leaving the Patriots and coming to the Buccaneers is crazy enough. And then the Bucs have put together a win streak, gotten into the Super Bowl, and they're playing in their own stadium. And so, as I shared uh, on, on previous conversations, and I think I've shared this with you, the only time I really had a moment, Jason Powers, of what is truly going on here is when Brady threw the second touchdown to Rob Gronkowski late in the first half, right in front of me in the Buccaneer painted end zone that was red, Buccaneers. I stood there going with the Bucs celebrating in front of me. Is this really happening? Is Am I really watching Tom Brady throw to Rob Gronkowski in Raymond James Stadium in the Super Bowl? It was as Buccaneers. As Buccaneers, not as New England Patriots. Yes, they're Bucks <laughs> in the Buccaneer end zone in the Buccaneer stadium. So that was the only time I really had that kind of, you know, please somebody tell me, is this real life after all we had been through? So anyway, uh, that was a crazy night. And then just the follow-up story after, after that is over with, now the pseudo restrictions are lifted, I guess. So I, I worked my way down the front row to the far end of the stadium, the north end of the stadium where they had done the, the trophy celebration with the Lombardi trophy up on the stage with CBS. I'm now down at that end of the stadium, and we have a long boom microphone, which we can stretch out, and I can interview a couple of players and talk to them about, um, about winning the Super Bowl. That's the first time I had seen physically Levante David and Leonard Fournette and Cameron Bradu, I was talking to Levante David said, man, it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you all year. We were forbidden <laughs> from being around them. Right. Locker room, game day, anything. Um, so th then I take away one other thing. Tom Brady came down around that area where we were. He was talking to national radio with Westwood One. He was talking to the NFL Network on TV. So, so Jason, this is like an hour after Super Bowl 55 in Tampa. We're probably, probably 45 minutes after the game at least. They've done the celebration. CBS is now off the air. The players are all around us. The confetti's all over the field. And I get done with uh, the Buccaneer radio conversation. I look around. I'm like, my God, there are still a lot of people here celebrating the Super Bowl. I look around Raymond James Stadium. And then I double take. It's all the cardboard cutouts. There's 30 thousand cardboard cutouts and i thought it was people i'm still having a moment and i'm like man there's a lot of people left an hour after the game that's never happened and it's because Great. it's the cardboard cutouts that sat there and the cardboard cutouts actually sat there for like another two days it's bizarre before they finally came and cleaned it up all the cutouts of the fans so i know i gave you a ton there on the simple questions of buccaneer super bowls oh, but obviously nice. for those reasons my friend i will never forget Either one of those, even if I had to go all the way to San Diego for one of them and take a full day to get back from San Diego. And then in the second one, it kind of balanced out because long about midnight Eastern time, I got in my car and drove back 20 minutes to my house in Lutz, kissed my wife and had a and had a nice good night's sleep in the house after the Super Bowl 20, you know, 20 minute car ride earlier. It was it was crazy. Uh, and I and I hope I did it justice with telling those stories on the Powers on Sports podcast. Well, you you were part of history of, 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 a, of a scenario that will probably never happen again, honestly, in the, yes. in the world of the Super Bowl, as far as the limited access and you know all that stuff. And well, how yeah. about this? I, I still tell this story for what we do in broadcasting to pull the curtain back. We did every game at Raymond James Stadium that year 
because of the COVID restrictions, we were not traveling. So we did all of the road games on TV, including the three road playoff games with Washington, New Orleans, and Green Bay. We did those sitting in the Raymond James Stadium control room, calling them off TV with Gene Deckerhoff, Dave Moore calling the game, me adding in, you know, pregame, halftime, uh, whatever. I can't be the sideline guy if I'm not at the game. I was just kind of adding in things that I had observed, right. stuff that we were watching. And so then we get to Super Bowl 55, and it's at home. Now, I know we have since gone to a 17th game in the season. So it is now possible that somebody could break the record of 17 regular season games, three <laughs> playoff games, and the Super Bowl in the same stadium. They could break it, but I don't think it's likely. What's, what's more than likely for all time is the Buccaneer Radio Network crew did all 20 games out of Raymond James Stadium that year, including Super Bowl 55. Pretty crazy, nutty 2020 year, my friend. And by the way, he's got a very nice Super Bowl ring to match that, too. I've, he, he, I've seen that. And the hat. Times. And the in ring. The, and the whole right. bit. And the twins, by the way, are still arguing over who gets the Super Bowl ring because it it has both their names on it, Reeves. Uh, so who, who knows what happens down the road. But, yes, yeah, a fun memento. I'm not a big jewelry guy. You know that. You've been around me. I don't, you know. I don't roll like Jason Powers and Peter Blake <laughs> yeah. and Paul Stewart and all you guys with your with your crusted diamond uh, hang tag chain and all that stuff and all your dream. No, I'm not a big jewelry guy, but I do have a Super Bowl 55 ring that is crazy to show off and tell the story. Uh, just like I, I told you, and and uh, for all time, for all time, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs came to Tampa, and the only touchdown they got was when their plane landed because they didn't get a touchdown <laughs> in the game, brother. And my only Super Bowl memory that I'll give a quick story of is I was as a high school senior here in Tampa. I had worked at, at the old Tampa Stadium my yep. couple of years selling sodas in the stadium, going up and down the old old sombrero back in the day in the heat. Sweat, the aluminum sweat, seats, sweat. the aluminum back seats. Yep. I got an opportunity to work the 1991 Super Bowl, the famous Whitney Houston Super Bowl, National Anthem. Yes. Desert Storm Super Bowl, talking about the military. You talk about the security. That was the first year where security was at a heightened level because of the, the Desert Storm, the Gulf War, and all that it stuff. It had just started. It had just started a couple yeah. of weeks earlier, three weeks yeah. earlier. So I, I, I had to go through all that uh, security and all that good stuff, and obviously the famous Whitney Houston National Anthem and the flyover because McDill Air Force Base is 15 minutes uh -huh. down the road here in Tampa, and kind of the CENTCOM Central Central Command area here in Tampa is a, is a big military installation. So that was kind of my my, my how many how memory. many trips up and down the aisles do you recall making three five seven oh, with all the three or five years like twenty five. I mean 25. you're up and down this you're up and down the stadium lugging and back in the day you're you're lugging these metal things with twenty or twenty five cokes in each one each each rack that you're selling <laughs> to the people in the stands. Which doesn't happen today. You go to the you go to the concessionary today, but back in the day, people like me used to go up and down Tampa Stadium. Hey, you need a soda in row twenty seven? How many? And you'd send it down the road. Exactly right. Down, and they would pass down the, the cash row. back, and yes. they pass the cash back to you. No debit cards. None of it was straight cash, homie, and all that good stuff. So. That was my. Uh, you were my there for the uh, the Giants win and the famous uh, Scott Norwood yeah, wide yeah. ride of the Bills, and that was the best chance the Bills had to win of those four Super Bowls. Bad memories yeah. for them because the next three they were never close really in any of those. 
That's uh, amazing that they got there. But yeah, you were there. You were there that night. And I often like to say of that nugget, what a great moment for Tampa. And that was the second time the Super Bowl had been in Tampa. It has now been in Tampa three more times since five times total for the Super Bowl uh, being played here that Whitney Houston and the Florida Orchestra were playing that the Florida Orchestra playing that national anthem. But in that case, they were playing away. She was singing away, but it was a tape that was playing out over the PA and out on uh, ABC worldwide uh, in the Super Bowl on ABC's television network. Um, A little little known fact, they didn't want a chance that there was some kind of a mistake, something that would happen. So... They were they were there. They were they were playing their instruments. She was singing. How, however, it was a tape. From what I was told by the organizers and everybody involved, and the NFL later confirmed that yes, that's exactly because they had taped it. Uh, I believe the night before, or maybe on the Friday night before that game, and they loved the tape so much about how awesome she was, and they wanted to make sure there were no mistakes on uh, on sunday that, that something didn't happen so what a what a moment and what super bowl memories and let's hope we get something like that out of las vegas with mahomes and the chiefs and the 49ers we'll see my friend well let's get to the game itself let's do a little quick tale of the tape of the game obviously you know obviously kansas city comes in as about a point point and a half underdog you know if you look at this game tj six weeks ago everybody would have said san francisco's clearing above clearing above the best team in the league they were rolling you know, Purdy, that, that offense, Kansas City was the one that was struggling. They couldn't find offense. Their receivers were having all kinds of problems. And it's amazing how six weeks later, most everybody that I've seen on TV and the pundits, they think Kansas City's going to win the game. And San Francisco's kind of the underdog, even though San Francisco's the favorite. It is interesting. I do like the 49ers here. I like this something like 27-24, something along those lines. I think it is their time. Uh, so many weapons for Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey, a big X factor. And I think San Francisco's defense uh, will be ready to go. That's how that Buccaneer team was able to win in Super Bowl 55. And you look at the lumps that the Chiefs have taken uh, postseason or, I mean, obviously they won the whole thing last year or in the regular season this year. It's physical defenses. Kelsey's going to get his on the tail of the tape. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think San Francisco will will find a way with the pass rush with with disturbing Mahomes. I like the 49ers uh, in this Super Bowl. Just when you come down to it, in two historic franchises. But again, it's been a long drought for San Francisco. Now, if Kansas City can get this, and it's three Super Bowl wins for Patrick Mahomes in five Five seasons, that's pretty incredible. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think ultimately. The, uh, the amazing story of Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy, the amazing uh, resurgence as, as Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have built this over the last few years to finally lead to this moment. And don't think for a second this is not a big moment for Kyle Shanahan because they blew a 10-point lead pressure. from pressure against Kansas City in the last Super Bowl, and he is the offensive coordinator that would not run the ball when they're no. up 28-3 to on the New England Patriots. It, while while coaching for the Atlanta Falcons as the yep. offensive coordinator. So there is a lot of pressure and a lot of scrutiny on him. I think they will cast that aside. I think they will find a way come Sunday night. And again, if you look back at the in the playoff run here, if you look back to that Buffalo game against Kansas City, Buffalo controlled the game with the running yes. game, and they were able to have long drives. I think San Francisco is going to be very much a similar situation. We know Shanahan's a great orchestrator of the running game with McCaffrey. I think you're going to get a lot of carries out of McCaffrey, a lot of touches. And that offensive line for for uh, that for San Francisco against the defensive line, sneaky injury, 
Omenahu for the the pass rusher for the for the Chiefs hurt his knee in the in the uh, championship game. Not gonna right. play. Good yeah, he's pass. out. He's the one that strip sacked Lamar Jackson in that championship. I think that's gonna be a factor. Can, and a guy you know well can. Donovan Smith block Chase Young and or Joe, uh, Nick Bosa. I think that's going to be a key. They've had issues absolutely with the tackles. Jawan Taylor's had penalty issues. To, uh, Donovan Smith's had some issues. Can that offensive line for Kansas City hold up? No Joe Thune, who's going to be out for Kansas City, the guard. Can the defensive line of San Francisco implore its will, its physical will, yeah. And they were called out after the championship game for lack of effort. There were some glaring plays on film where they were just not very, not hustling very much against Detroit. And here's the other thing about, the, about this game that I think is important. San Francisco has played C games in both games and won. Kansas City's played A, A games and they've won. All, in my view, if San Francisco can play a B-plus game, I think they're just better than Kansas City from 1-53. to 53. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you that Donovan Smith's a key figure in this former left tackle protecting Tom Brady in that Super Bowl. Can Nick Bosa have a big game? And I, I really think to your point about the formula, Baltimore didn't try to run the ball. And I think San Francisco will be able to run the ball some on Kansas City with McCaffrey, and he's such a weapon out of the backfield. So going to be a lot of mojo, and it'll be interesting. Is it going to be there's there's a lot of belief that it's going to be mostly 49er fans in the West oh. because there's so many of them in the proximity right. to Vegas. Right. Uh, you know, Kansas City's been playing in Las Vegas against the Raiders several times. So it'll be interesting. What's the stadium makeup? Is it 50-50? Will it be louder uh, for the uh, for the 49ers? We're going to find out. We're going to find out for this one on Sunday, my friend. And I'm with you. I like the 49ers. Uh, I think everybody's kind of sleeping on them a little bit. I like the 49 Give me a prop play. You got a prop that you like? How about Christian McCaffrey first touchdown of the game? I love that because everybody keeps honing in on the Chiefs get the ball. They go right down the field and score. Mm -hmm. I, McCaffrey first touchdown of the game. Uh, I've got a buddy and I'll, and I'll wrap it uh, real quick. Cause I know you, you want to talk a couple of quick other things. I got a buddy who's a former now retired nuclear engineer. He is a, a hilarious handicapper and he loves a couple of different prop bets. One of uh, every Super Bowl he plays these. One of them is neither team will score three in a row. Right. And that, that excludes the extra point. There will not right. be a situation where Kansas City or the 49ers score three times in a row. However, they do it touchdowns, three field goals yeah. in a row, safety, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. He, he has won with that over and over over again it wins at like an over 70 percent clip it won last year because yeah. neither the chiefs or the eagles scored three times in a row again extra points are excluded in this uh and another one that he loves is the longest touchdown of the game or the shortest touchdown of the game is over a yard and a half right he doesn't want a one yard goal line touchdown <laughs> and i'm kind of iffy on that one but he loves and he wins more often than not on shortest touchdown of the game uh -huh. over one and a half yards outside the one yard line so there's and just I, a couple of obscure props that i'll just throw out there for you and one that, I saw that, one that i saw that i like in this era of analytics both teams will convert at least one fourth down yes both teams probably yes. three to one you get three to one on your money for that too somewhere around three to one on your money but both teams have to convert at least one fourth down conversion and obviously with this day and age of going forward and all that stuff i think that's a pretty good one as well i think both teams will go for it at least once and make it so all right let's transition listen to powers on sports podcast tj reeves 
Buccaneer Radio. We also host the College Basketball Coast to Coast podcast, which is getting into full swing here mid-February as we approach mid-February, the stretch run of the regular season. TJ's doing a lot of stuff daily with BetUS TV, college basketball show, gambling, all that good stuff. So if you get you gamblers out there, go to BetUS TV. You degenerates. You degenerates, yes. You can bet on Quinnipiac, all the way from Quinnipiac oh to Houston to Kent State to, and everybody in between. St. Mary's to Minnesota to <laughs> Texas Southern. Exactly. You got it. With about two, about three weeks left in the regular season or so, three and a half weeks or so, give me a general theme of the college basketball season so far. Through have mid- have mid- we February. said this like the last couple of years? And you do a great job, by the way, helping me out on college basketball coast to coast. My general theme is we are sitting here in mid February, and you can make the argument for about eight teams at the moment that can win the whole thing. I mean, if I go down the list of Purdue and Houston and North Carolina and UConn, the defending champions, and I keep going down that list. If Kentucky uh, gets it together, Duke, Kansas, Kansas yep. you can you can make the argument, and San Diego State's got a lot of their players back, by the way, and they were in the national title game. Yep. Florida Atlantic's got their guards back and a couple of other pieces back. You can make the argument, I believe, for probably about 15 teams to be in the final four, maybe more, and I can make the argument for about seven or eight to win it. So wide open right now. And I don't know that that's a bad thing. Wide open is the is the overall theme that I have right now on the college basketball season. And we are loving watching all of these different matchups in the conferences. And they start to build uh, the drama and the excitement will build to March. There is no doubt, my friend. A couple of off-the-radar teams that, yeah, again, one one's here close to, close to us. A couple teams that have come out of nowhere with just tremendous turnarounds, new coach, New 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 operation this year. Give me a couple of teams. I'm going to give you. I'm going to tee up with one here locally. USF is on a huge winning streak. Uh, Amir Abdul Rahim uh, Rahim came from Kennesaw State. They have won nine consecutive conference games. Something that that program has never done. And they've had some good years over. The, they've had some good teams over the years. Give me a thought or two about USF and a couple of the teams that are maybe Inc- off the radar. Incredible story uh, just in the in that, and you've said this too, they were not expected. They were picked ninth in the American Conference. Uh, Abdul Rahim is the younger brother of Sharif Abdul Rahim, the former NBA All-Star, who now, by the way, is the commissioner of the NBA G League. He, he runs the operations of the NBA G League, the older brother. This is the younger brother who was in the NCAA tournament with Kennesaw State, another northern suburb school out of Atlanta. So now he comes in here and they have put it together. 14 wins in the last 15 games at the time we're taping. They're playing a bad Rice team on Sunday. They're playing another iffy bad team in Tulsa. They are liable to be 11 and 1 when they play Florida Atlantic a week from Sunday at home. What a game that's going to be on the campus of USF in Tampa at the Yingling Center. Great job. Uh, he's got a guard in Chris Youngblood that can score. He's got a big kid at 6'10", lanky long, named Kaysen Pryor, who's been a bit of a revelation. Uh, again, the Bulls have not had a sniff of the NCAA tournament since 2012. What a great story, a tease that on the College Basketball Coast to Coast show and podcast, a brother podcast of this one, it's going to be out Thursday into Friday, previewing the weekend. Jim Lighthall, the 27-year radio man for USF, is on the podcast talking further about South Florida, USF in the American Conference with Florida Atlantic, Memphis, North Texas, UAB, Charlotte. Where does USF rank? How are they doing? Why are they rising to the level? So Jim is on with me on College Basketball Coach 
coast to coast. We're ramming with live shows, et cetera, but he's going to be on the podcast talking about that. And a couple of other teams, South Carolina. I know yes. we keep talking on the coverage about South Carolina in the SEC, a win uh, over Kentucky at home. They go to Tennessee and win. They go to Georgia and win right. uh, in, in the recent Lamont Paris is the coach, the former Chattanooga coach. They have had a resurgence. They have not been in the NCAA tournament since 2017 when they Frank went Martin, to the final Frank four, Martin. by the way, with Frank it's Martin. Frank they haven't they have not been in the NCAA tournament since then, yep. by the way. So South Carolina coming on in a very feisty uh SEC. Keep an eye on them. It's a lot of fun to see uh, what they are up to. And I know you didn't ask me this, but the Big 12. I was gonna say Lord, that Lord, what a conference. That's one the best to, conference. One to Jason, ten, the best conference be? in the country. From one to ten, best conference in the country. Right. And, well, and, and and right now they have because they added the four. It's fourteen. It's one to fourteen. They very easily are going to get ten teams in, and they may get an eleventh team in out of the same league with the likes of Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas are leaving the league. But you add Houston and BYU and UCF out of Orlando and Cincinnati. All four of those new teams may get in the NCAA tournament. Big 12 loaded. Baylor, Texas Tech, Iowa State. Uh, yep. It is uh, it is a loaded Kansas State just 12. beat Kansas yes, Monday night. Yes. Yep. Really good. Iowa night. State goes and wins at Texas the other night. BYU, UCF has won a couple of games with Kansas and Oklahoma at home. So this that Big 12 is just knock down, drag out, and it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun in the college hoops. Give me two names on the coaching hot seat. Give me two coaches that might be in some trouble. Villanova, maybe? I, th I, think, I don't know if Kyle Neptune is in that much trouble. It's only his second year. They are struggling. They did get a win um, uh, midweek here that will help their cause. Um, uh, you got to look at Mike Woodson at, at Indiana. I know they won a midweek game with Ohio yeah. State. You're a former grad student at, at yeah. Indiana. They have a bigger expectation than just being yeah. middle of the pack in the Big Ten and not ever making it out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Woodson's third year is right. their progress. I don't know. I don't think my guy Penny Hardaway is in trouble at Memphis, but they're clearly struggling. They were in the top 10 three weeks ago and have now taken four losses since then that have knocked them way down on the NCAA tournament bubble. I don't think Penny is that much uh, on the hot seat, but we'll see. And I, I know you keep pointing out, and we got to go in a second, John Calipari. Is the Kentucky fan base fed up stale. with him? Just stale. They, is is it stale? I mean, they're still an exciting, explosive yeah. team. And yeah. if they put it together in March and win the SEC tournament and win a game in the NCAA tournament, how do you boot him? Now, maybe he wants to leave on his own and he's tired of it. But, I mean, Kentucky is still dangerous, can still score. They don't guard anybody. But I don't know about Calipari. We'll see. All right. We'll see. But there you go. Find Mr. Reeves on, on Twitter X at Buck Sideline Guy, college basketball coast to coast every Saturday night. We do a live show. Yes. Uh, he's doing a live show. He does some midweek stuff as well. College basketball Wherever coast to coast. Wherever you get podcasts, college basketball coast to coast, we're going to be on it all the way through March, and you do a great job helping me out. Thank you for the plugs. I know you got a roll. Let's see what happens with the Super Bowl and everything else, brother. Check out uh, Bet US TV as well during the week as well. So, all right, folks, great chat, TJ Reeves. Enjoy the basketball. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Don't eat too many chicken wings, and we will talk to you soon, sir. Thank you. Great to be with you. If you have any buying or selling real estate needs in the Tampa Bay area or anywhere in Central Florida, reach out to Drew Felios, 813-382-9934. Drew can help you on the buying side or the selling side for any real estate, commercial, or residential property. Drew is my guy 
anywhere here in the state of Florida, especially in Central Florida and the Tampa Bay area, reach out to Drew Felios, 813-382-9934 for all of your real estate buying and selling needs. timer like me you know what that music is the original nfl today on cbs we're going to talk a little national football league as we fire up hour number two of the press box coming to you on great radio stations throughout the southeast chattanooga to savannah mobile to jackson mississippi great to have you with us all over the southeast mike grace along with bart heitch and jason powers as we fire up hour number two and jason fired up about our next guest who you bring to us recruited out of the tampa st pete area to play safety at the university of missouri began his coaching career as a graduate assistant with the uh, tigers there joined bill snyder's staff at k-state if i'm not mistaken uh promoted to co-defensive coordinator there and then four years later hired by usf to build the bulls a uh, football program just picked up 95 wins over his time there, went to uh, five straight bowl appearances as well, then made the jump to the National Football League in 2011, hired by some guy named Jim Harbaugh to uh, help run the 49ers defense. Uh, that followed with defensive coordinator positions at uh, Colorado, at Oregon, at FSU, FAU, SMU. What, what did I leave out, Jason? Just an all-around oh, good dude. Oh, all I know. good dude. I know. I know what I left out. He's the former star quarterback for the Rebels of Dixie Hollins High yes, School sir. down in the Tampa area. That's a, bring in Boy, your... I'm, I'm confused why we went through all those years in a, in a, in a hurry. Welcome uh, inside the press box, Jim Levitt. Great to have you here, man. Yeah, it's great to be with you guys on a beautiful, beautiful Wednesday morning here in the Tampa Bay area. How about those Niners? That's right. Let's get right to it. Super Bowl Sunday coming up. You had the pleasure to to uh, to coach in one of these, in one of the more famous ones, the Harbaugh versus Harbaugh one in New Orleans back in 2013. For those of you that don't remember, the lights go out in the game at, at a point in the game. You had a controversial finish at the end of the game with with I know with Crabtree and an interference call that wasn't called. Just yeah, give me one controversial. It should have been called. Uh, period. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing controversial about it. They missed it. Yeah. They missed it. They absolutely missed it. It wasn't yeah. even close. Right. Talk just talk about the Super Bowl experience as a coach. You know, obviously I know you're into the you know, when you're in the moment, you're in the X's and O's, but just the entire week of being in New Orleans, the 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 all the pageantry of the Super Bowl game day, you get to, you know, you you've told me a story. Talk to the audience about hanging, being arm's length away from Beyonce at halftime. Just give us a little Super Bowl kind of the the, the, the experience as a coach. Well, you know, I remember vividly uh, going into our hotel uh, in New Orleans, and uh, you know, we had two weeks for prepare. And you know, you're right there by uh, uh, Bourbon Street and all that. But honestly, I did not leave the meeting room. Um for the entire two-week period other than one day. I, I I really felt like, you know, most people don't ever have a, a chance to win a Super Bowl or even be in a Super Bowl. And I wanted to do all I could to make sure the linebackers were on point. You know, I had Pat Willis, Navarro Bowman, and, of course, Vic Fangio, our defense coordinator, you know, handled Ahmad Brooks and Alden Smith, the outside backers, but they were kind of all together once in a while. And uh, I remember giving them reminders for the game of 16 pages. And um, 
you know, a lot of diagrams, pictures. You don't want all that writing. And um, I just want to have them be extremely well prepared. Uh, I did go out one time and ran into some people that I thought were, it was just real interesting, the whole, the whole aura about the Super Bowl and the media and all the, you know, I had so many people. I mean, I'm just the assistant coach, a linebacker coach, but it's amazing the throng of media presence there. It's it's overwhelming, to be honest with you. And I've been around a lot of media in my life, you know, and uh, but nothing like what I saw at the uh, Super Bowl. And then, you know, when the, when the uh, game starts, it's like any game. Now, what was really different was, you know, they had – uh, was it Shady Brook where they had the shootings of the elementary school kids way back a number of years ago? Right. If you remember. Yeah. Well, I remember vividly coming out before the game and seeing all these kids, and they were all so excited, and they all had smiles, and they are all – and I went up to them all, and I said, now I want you to sing really, really, really good. <laughs> really good. And lo and behold, it was kids from that elementary school. Wow. And I, oh, yeah. when I found that out, I was overwhelmed by it all. And then, honestly, it wasn't at halftime, but I wheeled around to go over to the sideline and almost ran. I mean, almost knocked her over, Beyonce. She was right there, and I go, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. I, I didn't uh, say anything. I didn't, you know, hey, uh, can I get your autograph or anything like that? But, uh, you know, I was – you know, almost knocked her over. I was right. I mean, I was, there's was, you know, people on the sideline and everything. And um, then uh, and then when the game goes, you know, the game goes. You don't, you know, your thoughts are not that you're, for me, my thought was not that I was in the Super Bowl and I was coaching uh, for the 49ers, you know, in that game, hardball versus hardball. It was just perform. And it was like any other game where you want your guys to perform at a very high level and you want to be on point during the game with adjustments, you know, of this or that. And they they got out on us really big. You know, I mean, they, they really were ahead of us by a lot. But we came storming back, and I remember us handing off to Frank Gore and him waltzing into the end zone at the end of the fourth quarter. And I know Jim had called a timeout right before that play, or right during. It was, it was really close. And everybody I noticed still this day wonders what would have happened if that timeout would have been called. But the last play, the ball goes up. I really did not see the play because it was on our side of the field and um, incomplete. And then, you know, they run out the clock. But later on, I saw the video of it, and it was the it was horrific <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, it, Crabtree got, you know, just got wrapped up with both arms by the defensive back. And it was, to me, a very easy call. It was interference. And, you know, uh, we would have got the ball right there. And you know, odds are we're going to score and, you know, probably win the game, you know. And uh, but it, handle, was a, it was quite experience. How did you handle the lights going out when that whole scenario, when the, remember the lights went out in the Superdome and there was like a 20-minute delay? How did you handle that? As a team, well, did you just let the guys relax, or how did you guys handle that? Well, no, everybody was on the bench. You just kind of did their own thing. I, you know, because we didn't know how long it was going to be, and uh, we were getting beat pretty good at that point. Uh, I went down to the end of the sideline, just got on a knee, 
and just kind of was looking over at the Ravens. You know, they were all really happy, like they thought, you know, it was going to be a blowout. And, um, you know, I was kind of disgusted with that, you know, but, you know, I just waited, you know, not a lot you're going to do at that point. You know, you're really on top of your game, which, you know, we're, I mean, as far as, you you know, the players, uh, you know, we, we work all the way through the games. So during that time, I really didn't do a whole lot, you know, other than, you know, waiting until the lights come back on. Yeah. You know, Coach, so. Coach Bart here. I, I actually, um, you mentioned adjustments. Um, and I think the NFL is the is the one sport to wear adjustments, man, at halftime. It's amazing how good you guys are. <laughs> I was actually in Atlanta at that NFC championship game. Oh, jeez. Um, when that set, because you talk, you got behind in that game, if I'm not mistaken, early too, because you came storming back, and the second half adjustments. I'm just curious about that. Like, is a game like this? Is it more intense in that locker room? Is everybody still the same? I mean, are the leaders, the guys like the Patrick Willis's, Navar Bowman's, like you mentioned, kind of give us some of that inner setting of those locker rooms in AFC Championship halftimes and Super Bowl halftimes. Well, you know, really, it's not always the halftime. You're really adjusting through the game. And you're, you know, we had those, uh, you know, they, we, you know, we've got, we had pages, but then they were just going to those electronics, you know, where we had the, uh, uh, you know, the board that we could really show some things to the players. And we really always talk and communicate during, like, the first half. And we're always talking about what's happening, what's going on, Who's making the mistakes? What issues are there in your, um, you know, defense that was called, and the discipline of certain players? And those are really being recorded before halftime. When you go to halftime, you don't have uh, a lot of time, it, it, and it wasn't like uh, uh, college. You know, you have a little bit more, but still, in college, you have to, you had to, you had to get to what you got to get to. But you have Vic Fangio, who's up in the press box, and. You know, they have a throng of people that try to get them down to the locker room in time. So usually what happens is when you go to the halftime, you're you're meeting with your guys before the D coordinator gets down to talk about quickly some of the things you need to, you know, have done. But also you've got different players that are going to get wrapped up. They're getting iced. They're getting taped up more. They're getting, exactly. you know, that part ends up being an issue sometimes. Uh, depending on what key player is not really right there at the board. Then when the defense coordinator comes down or uh, or if I was writing and Vic Meyer was, was maybe sharing some of the things, you go to bullet points. You know, you're looking at one, two, three bullet points that you, you've got to get corrected. And you're not going to be able to, you know, save the world with everything, but you, you really get to those main points. And uh, uh, whoever is more efficient, with getting major issues done in that short time period, usually, you know, has a lot of success in the second half because there's so much parity, uh, certainly in the NFL and certainly in the, uh, you know, in the NFC uh, championship game or uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, but that game in Atlanta was unbelievable. I mean, Atlanta had a great <laughs> quarterback, and you know, and it came down to uh, I think it was an in route or whatever they were driving, and Navarro Bowman knocked the pass down and there was controversy on that one whether he interfered with the receiver of course I'm on the absolutely not absolutely yeah, so not I, I say absolutely <laughs> there was there was no interference no 
Not even close. <laughs> but that was a great game. Great game. A lot of my family was right there. And uh, that was a great game. And I never forget talking to Willis and uh, Bowman right after that. And they said right away, Coach, we're not going to celebrate. We're not going to celebrate. We want to win the Super Bowl. And they mentioned right away, teams that celebrate too much don't, you know, sometimes struggle in the Super Bowl. So that's kind of interesting. Coach, I want, I want to transition back to your, your your college days. You've obviously you've, you've been at the highest levels, a head coach, defensive coordinator, a bunch of different places, big schools, smaller schools. <clears throat> Give the audience a little perspective of handling the NIL nowadays. You you were there a couple you know a couple years back on the on the start of it. Just know as a coach, having to know you have to re-recruit your guys every year, whether it's your guys, whether it's the transfer portal, still recruiting high school kids and dealing with the portal people and the boosters and all that. Give the audience a little perspective from the coach's point of view. We've seen Jeff Halfley leave Boston College to go to the NFL and his big answer was, I don't want to be dealing with the NIL anymore. Just give a little coach's perspective of the, the, the issue of NIL and, and fixing it. Well, sometimes, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if anybody has the answer to fixing it. You know, I think they opened up a can of worms and I don't think the, the toothpaste is open now. I don't know if you're ever going to go back. I think it's uh, I don't think it's good at all for college football, you know, for many, many reasons. And we could talk for days on this. Uh, but the bottom line is you lose control of so many things. And, um, you know, where's, where's it going to go? I mean, how, how do you justify this? How do you justify Purdy, who is the MVP in the NFL, going to play in the Super Bowl, getting paid about $850,000 a year, when you have a backup quarterback in Texas making $2.6 How do you justify people that are going into college that haven't done really a lot? We, we, we always struggle with that in the NFL also because these guys make all this money and haven't performed yet in the NFL. These guys have not even performed in college making all this money that might have to take a pay cut to go to the NFL. I mean, it's uh, something's wrong with that whole picture. No matter how you look at it, something's wrong. And I don't know about re-recruiting my players. If I'm, uh, if I'm at a program, I hope I treat my players really good and, uh, and they understand uh, where things are in our program. Where you have an issue is when you come into another program, a new staff comes in, and you have to recruit players that you do not know. Right. That becomes a real issue because, you know, the movement in college football is, uh, you know, there's a lot. I mean, you see it all the time. And uh, and then you've got all these different signing dates that go on at all different times uh, with the transfer portal, uh, with different signing dates, uh, with the NIL. It's, um, it's confusing. And I don't think it's good for anybody. I don't. I think it's uh, sad. It all points to just, you know, four teams or five teams or six teams. You know, in some ways, you know, I go back to I've coached forty-two years. I go back to, you know, when they didn't have any of it, and all the bowl games meant an awful lot, a lot more. And I think people probably watched them a lot more. Now the television audience, obviously, the population is growing, and the television audience for these main games are enormous, and. It certainly hadn't slowed down college football, but you know it's it's uh, a lot of bowl games that you don't even watch anymore. Right, You're, you know, everybody's going to watch the last two games and then the championship game. I, I've talked to so many that they go through here. I mean, these are people who love football and watch any of the games, none of them. And um, 
you know, that's that's sad. Now, if you're in a smaller college like South Florida, because they're not in the position of the Alabamas and the uh, Florida States or any of those people, just I don't know where I'd use my NAL. I don't I don't have that money anyway. And the only reason you would you you'd have to be aware of the NIL is like you said to make sure you don't lose players. Like you have like South Florida has a very good quarterback. How do they hold on to him? Well, might have to pay him some money. You hope that there's some allegiance to South Florida. You hope that he knows he's in a position where, uh, in a big picture, if he plays a lot, breaks a lot of records, that's going to help his draft status. If he goes to an unknown situation, you don't know. Uh, that's how you can hold on to him, and then you you probably pay him a little bit of money, you know, to a position like that. So, you know, I haven't answered the questions, but I what I have steered you to is. I get why people don't want to deal with it. And um, I, I, I wouldn't have a lot of fun with it, I don't think. Final minute with Coach Jim Levitt as we uh, talk football and Super Bowl 58. Uh, if you Put your headset on. As the coach, how do you stop Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense on Sunday? Well, you know, it's, it's very, very difficult. You know, it's um, how do you stop them? I don't know. You know, one thing I know is I like it's everybody knows that you got to stop the explosive plays when he gets out of the pocket and he keeps his eyes downfield. You can't let anybody get away from you on a vertical round. Uh, you know, you've got you, you got to stop the explosive plays. And then the other thing that's going to be really important, you know, it's hard to get to him. Everybody tries because he moves so well, you know. But, um, you know, obviously you want you to shut that run game down. You don't want to let them have balance. Uh, but you gotta get you got to get a takeaway. you got to get a couple of them in this game uh, for the 49ers to have a chance, I think. Um, but, you know, they, they've done okay with the run game. And, uh, and then he, and then explosive plays when he gets out of that pocket. Uh, it's very difficult. He knows a little something about it. The uh, head yeah. coach of the USF Bulls, again, uh, throughout the, the, his both collegiate and National Football League career, a winner wherever he was. Jim Levin, thanks so much for the time, man. Enjoy uh, this fantastic day down in Tampa and your Super Bowl, and we hope to have you back inside the press box sometime soon. I right, appreciate you guys. You bet. Jim Levitt with us again, courtesy of Jason Powers, the Powers on Sports podcast. Find it wherever you find your favorite podcast and the Powers on Sports YouTube channel. Again, just look for, uh, again, the uh, Powers on Sports wherever you might define them. When we come back, we've got odds and ends. No, it's Powers Picks time. That's right, a Super Bowl 58 edition of the Powers Picks. And later, we'll talk basketball Auburn, Alabama style with the voice of the Auburn Tigers, Andy Burcham. Still to come as Hour 2 of the Press Box rolls on for this Hump Day Wednesday. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.